You're listening to This Life Explains It All. With the creators of Vera, your guide for navigating a conscious life. We're Stefania Romeo and Catherine Griffiths. This Life Explains It All was created out of belief that our life experience is our greatest teacher. And as soul sisters and intuitives, we've spent the past decade completely obsessed with better understanding our minds and our bodies, all while running a mile a minute with busy careers as leaders in the tech startup world. On this podcast, we are bringing you the insights and lessons that have changed our lives with the thought leaders, healers, and dreamers behind them. We're discussing wellness practices, healing methods, and experiences that get us to think differently about life and live empowered. Whether you want to uplevel your health, your career, your relationship, or are going through changes to your life path, this information can help you get there and let you know that we're right here with you. We believe life isn't meant to be lived linear, and no matter where you are right now, you're right on time. Hey guys, I'm Katherine Griffiths. And I'm Stefania Romeo, and you're listening to This Life Explains It All, Vera's podcast. Today, we're talking about relationships. We're so excited to share this conversation with our guest, Elizabeth Earnshaw. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she's the founder of A Better Life Therapy. You may have come across her content and community on Instagram at Liz Listens. She shares so much amazing and helpful stuff. Liz is also an expert in the Gottman method. It's a relationship therapy method that's famous for being able to predict by the existence or absence of certain behaviors or factors, which relationships have the greatest opportunity for success and longevity and which ones need some real work to succeed. Yeah, the Gottman method was created by doctors John and Julie Gottman through the study of a huge body of research on couples and behaviors and relationships. This conversation is for you, whether you're in a romantic relationship or not, as the teachings and wisdoms can be applied to all kinds of relationships. The Gottman research is so fascinating because it's based on so much real life data and actually can predict whether or not your relationship is going to work or has a longevity, like we said. And I hadn't heard much about the Gottman research before this episode. Have you? Yeah. So the Gottman research is so, so fascinating. I heard an interview with John and Julie Gottman on, I think the Goop podcast a long time ago. And like you said, it was just so interesting because it really was based on real research and data and real things that happened across many, many, I think thousands of of couples and relationships versus being more theory-based. And so I found that so interesting. John and Julie Gottman in this, the method that they developed were able to predict by the existence of certain kinds of behaviors that Liz goes really deep into and shares a lot about what relationships are set up for a success or not. I found it so, so fascinating. And A lot of the things that Liz shares are kind of some of those things that you might see like in the micro and access in your day-to-day, like are these things happening in communication or or are they not? So Liz makes it very accessible and understandable to kind of apply it and, and understand it in your everyday life. Yeah, it definitely gave me a lot to think about in my own relationship because some of the methods are methods that I hadn't thought of before or haven't read about before. And I've been thinking about it ever since. Like, how can I actually apply these to make my relationship better? So we'll get into all of that in the episode. And there's so much that you'll be able to take away and and apply whether or not you're in a relationship or you're not in a relationship. Yeah. I think that something that's interesting. So we've done a couple of episodes 
focused on relationships in the past. And those have been some of our most popular episodes. And I think that it's probably because it's the one thing that we all humans have in common. We're all in relationship in one form or another. And I think that it's very normal and natural to reflect on your relationships and kind of take stock of how you're showing up, how the other person is showing up, how you're feeling and how it's going. And I think that it's great to have conversations like this one and just know, you know, no one is alone and kind of experiencing the challenges and also the triumphs of relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how important connection is, whether it's with a romantic partner or a friend and what you really need to do to make sure that both of you are connected and staying connected and giving each other the time and being present with them. And she talks a lot about that. We won't give away the whole episode, but she talks a lot about connection as well. And I really, like that part really stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. She gives so much tactical, tangible guidance. It's an amazing conversation with a lot to take away. So we'll get into it. Before we get into the episode, if you've been enjoying the show, please leave us a review give us a rating and share the episode with a friend. That's something that Kat and I do all the time when we hear a podcast that is helpful or we think will help the other. Think about someone who might benefit from this conversation and share it with them. All right. Well, let's get into the conversation. We talk about so much here. We talk about the Gottman method, which is famous for being able to predict what makes a relationship work or not work. She talks about what it is and how to apply it to your relationship. We talk about the sound relationship house framework, the most important two aspects of any relationship called the walls of a relationship house and how they are the most important areas for a lasting relationship. Liz also shares tips for navigating relationships successfully during the pandemic and all of the new challenges that that it presents, being in close quarters. There's so much. She gives a lot of great guidance here as well. And she talks to us about what many couples are seeking therapy for now, what kinds of things are bringing people in now, and why certain challenges are coming up now more than ever. All right. Well, let's get into the episode. Welcome, Liz. We are so excited to have you. I told you a minute ago, I originally came across your work because I follow the content of the Gottman Method, and I saw your work through that and then saw everything that you share in the community that you create on social media and thought it was so amazing and so excited to have you here for this conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We'd love to start out by hearing from you a little bit about your background and how you got into the work that you do. Yeah. So I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm also a certified Gottman therapist, which I think is how you probably got connected with me. And the way that I got into this type of work is really pretty convoluted. I went to school to be Actually, I first went to school to be in international relations, and then I went to school to be a teacher, and then I went to school to be someone that did organizational development. And then I was driving down the highway one day and saw a billboard for couples therapy, and I thought, that is actually what I want. (laughs) 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 And I finally stopped going down my convoluted journey of lots of different things and I started a couples therapy program. And ever since then, it's been history. It's 
my passion. And I think honestly, one of the biggest honors. And from there, you know, I did all of the Gottman courses and the certification and and now I'm here. That's amazing. I love how you started out with, you know, completely different career paths and becoming a teacher and all of that. And then just decided to change paths based on a billboard. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So on the Gottman method, I know that you're an expert and you use the Gottman method in your work. Um, For those who are unaware of the Gottman method, can you explain it? Absolutely. So the Gottman method of couples therapy is a research-backed form of couples therapy, which means that the Gottman Institute for decades has done lots of research on couples, on relationships, and what makes them function, and also what makes them dysfunctional. And so within Gottman method therapy, the therapist utilizes all of that research to make really informed decisions around different types of skills that are built, different types of conversations that are had, while also leading the couple to develop very clear skills around what's called the sound relationship house so that they can improve the functioning of their relationship. And honestly, the coolest part of it is that in the very beginning, you do an assessment, which isn't really very common in the couples therapy world. And so couples do this assessment, which helps to narrow down which areas of that relationship house are struggling. So then you don't have to waste a ton of time trying to target all of them, but rather you target the ones that are having the most difficulty. Can you talk a little bit about what the sound relationship house framework is? I know from my understanding, it's one of the hallmarks of this method. What does that look like? Yeah. So um, since the 70s, Dr. John Gottman did a ton of research on what couples were getting tripped up on. And he was able to distill, along with a lot of other researchers that worked with him, what some of the major problem areas for what he called the disasters of relationships were and what's the areas that other people did really well. And he called those people the masters. And later, he was lucky enough to meet up with Dr. Julie Gottman, who is now his wife. (laughs) And the two of them decided that they couldn't just have this research without actually having a framework for how to use it in therapy. And so they came up with a sound relationship house, which kind of uses all of the information that Dr. John Gottman found to actually create different areas that you'll want to target in your relationship, that you want to find, are they strengths or are they growth areas in the relationship? So it's shaped like a house. So if you can imagine a house has two walls. And so the two walls of the house are are trust and commitment because a house can't stand up without walls and a relationship can't stand up without trust and commitment. So the first thing you assess in a relationship is how much do we trust each other and how committed are we? If there's not trust and if there's not commitment, it's hard to build all of the things inside because you don't feel safe, right? Mm -hmm. So those two things make people feel safe enough to be vulnerable and to take risks and to try new things. So if there's enough trust and commitment, then you can work on building some other things, which the bottom layer is called love maps. And that means that you are essentially friends with your partner. Mm. It's called love maps because you could build a map of your, your partner's internal world. So you could say, 
I know who your friends are. I know Mm -hmm. who your enemies are. I know what you are planning for your future. I know what you're scared of in life right now. So one thing, if you're listening and you're in a relationship, you can ask yourself, how well do we know each other's internal world? How do we know day to day what each person is kind of experiencing? The second thing that's really important is looking at the fondness and admiration system in a relationship. So how often are people saying that they appreciate each other and how proud of of each other are they? And are they expressing that? Mm -hmm. So again, if you're listening, you can kind of think, do we share with each other what we appreciate? Do we share enough that we really like each other? Do we share enough that we're really proud of each other? Or does that feel neglected? Does this make sense so far? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's something that I've heard a lot before, even in other kind of teachings, that it's so important to express the appreciation. And I, I think maybe there's even a ratio of appreciation to criticism. Yeah, there's a five to one ratio. Okay. Part of this. So when couples are trying to work on that, that is one of the things that we try to encourage is can you really pay attention to amping up how often you're appreciating each other? And not included in this research, but there's other research that shows that we really underestimate how much other people want to hear that we appreciate them. Mm -hmm. So when studies have been done, a lot of people will say, oh, I didn't say thank you because you know, they already know I'm appreciative or they don't really need to hear that. But what has been found is that most people actually don't know that, Mm. or even if they do, they still want to hear it. And so just remembering, you can almost never give too much genuine appreciation. Mm. That makes so much sense. Even in non-romantic relationships, it feels like there's always so much room for that. And even for me, sometimes I feel like, is it weird if I express this right now or let someone know how much I appreciate them? Like, is that going to feel like I'm sharing too much or being too vulnerable? Or they're going to be like, oh, that was like a little much for me. But I think that this is such great support that like, no, like people, we want more of this. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah said that because that same study, which was done out of the University of Chicago, found that people underestimate how much people care to hear it and they overestimate how awkward they sound. And so it's interesting. Mm -hmm. You just kind of, you mirrored that, right? You said, I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's like weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But that's really common. Next layer is positive perspective. So do you think positive thoughts about each other? Or do you think mostly negative thoughts? The next layer after that is turning towards. And so what we know is that couples who do well, they tend to make a lot of what we call bids for connection. Have you ever heard about bids? I haven't, no. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to talk about because the more that you know about it, then you can't unsee it. Like you just see it everywhere. So all day, people make bids to connect with you. All day. Your Starbucks, when you're parking, all all sorts of stuff. And bids are little things like running to hold the door for you or smiling when you both notice the same funny thing that just happened in public or rolling your eyes together or you know, helping with something. So we do all of these things to bid. And they're attempts to connect with someone else. 
when you're in a close relationship, you are bidding with that person frequently throughout the day if the relationship is healthy. And so it's usually small things like, hey, did you see all the squirrels outside? Or would you mind coming and helping me get something from the top shelf? Or, hey, I forgot to tell you what happened with so-and-so with their job today. And when you do that, in an ideal world, people mostly turn towards you. And there's actually numbers around this. And in couples that stay married for more than six years, they're turning towards each other more than 80% of the time. In couples that divorce before six years, they're turning towards each other less than 50% of the time. I think the number is like 43%. And so what happens is I say something like, do you see all of those squirrels outside? And either you say, oh yeah, look at that. And you turn towards me and then we connect. Or you keep looking at your phone Mm -hmm. and you turn away. That's called turning away. And I think, wow, this person doesn't care about me. They're not listening to me. Or you turn against me and you say, why would I care about the squirrels in the backyard? And if a couple, but I also think this happens with our, you know, if we're parents with our kids Mm -hmm. or if we're friends, if you're continually trying to bid and the person always turns away from you, or always turns against you, what do you think happens? They don't connect. They don't connect. (laughs) Stop bidding, right? You're like, I'm not going to tell this person about the squirrels anymore or about my dreams or about Mm -hmm. my bad day. Mm -hmm. So couples who turn away a lot, they go into something that's like a distance and isolation cascade. They get super lonely. Mm -hmm. And couples who turn against a lot become high conflict right? Why are you such a jerk? You never care about what I think. And so there's a lot of criticism that starts to be a part of the relationship. So we want to make sure we're trying to be responsive and turn towards the other person's bids. So that's the fourth layer. The next is how do you manage conflict? So are you able to self-soothe during conflict? Are you able to actually dialogue, which means there's a clear speaker and listener? And not just kind of what's happening right now where I'm monologuing, right? <laughs> yeah. And not what can happen where people interrupt each other. And can you avoid the four horsemen? And then the top two layers have to do with building things. So are we building life goals? Are we building a legacy together? Do we feel like our relationship makes meaning? Are there rituals? So that's kind of... Um, if you think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that's like relationship actualization, like all of this yeah. other place. So you get to do the awesome stuff now. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting. And it's so fascinating that it is based on so much research. So it's like, this really is what's proven and what's shown to work and be important. And it makes so much sense. It's like, you need those trust and commitment. You need the trust and commitment walls, and then you build all the rest from there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something, and I think this might align with what I wanted to ask you about next. And you let me know, you mentioned the four horsemen. So I'm curious what the four horsemen are, but you talked about them as though they're maybe a negative thing. And one of the other things that I was curious to ask you about, so my understanding is that from the Gottman research, they have become able to predict 
what kind of relationship has a chance of succeeding versus not having a chance of succeeding, even when the relationship's in trouble um, by the presence or absence of certain things. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about what are those things? And even for someone listening right now that's thinking, okay, I wanna make sure that the good things are present or someone who's listening and saying, you know, we actually are going through a rough time right now. How might I be able to, you know, understand this better or see what needs to be present? Yeah, that's a great question. So when John Gottman was doing his research, he was able to predict with the couples in his love lab who would really stay together and who would separate. And it was based off of a lot of those things I talked about in Sound Relationship House, but in like very simple terms, it was how do they manage conflict together? Do they turn towards each other? And how do they manage stress? Like those three things really impact whether a couple is able to make it in the long term. And one thing I'll say is that none of those things mean that you never fight or that you never say the wrong thing. Couples can stay together and be happy for many, many years and have arguments and disagreements and be different people. But the way that they manage conflict, the way they manage stress and how they tend to bids, how they tend to like people trying to connect to them is so incredibly important when it comes to the long term. And one of the things you alluded to, and I also kind of brought up was the four horsemen. And they, like in this ability to predict, they were one of the biggest pieces of the prediction because what he saw in the love lab was that when people were utilizing the four horsemen, which I'll explain, but it's communication habits without changing them. So when they were chronic, that the couples ended up divorcing within the next several years because these four communication habits end up making people feel unsafe with each other. And so over time, they stop sharing with each other and they start getting their emotional needs met outside of the relationship. I'm not talking necessarily about affairs, but their energy just kind of leaves the relationship and it's hard to then maintain that connection. So yeah, so this is all, this all helps with predicting. The four horsemen are criticism defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. Mm. Mm. Are there common themes that you see with couples in using the Gottman method? Yeah. So I see couples that have all sorts of things that they come in with. Interestingly enough, most people will come in and say we have communication issues, but that's an umbrella term. That means 8 million different things. People (laughs) come in because of infidelity. People will come in because they're unhappy with their sex life. They'll come in because they can't navigate parenting together. They can't stop fighting. They feel distant. So there's lots of things that they come in with. What I find is usually the entry to start repairing some of those things is to create safety by improving the way they talk about those things. Mm -hmm. Because you can't do much else until you really learn how to communicate with each other in a way that doesn't violate the other person. Because as long as the other person feels violated, they can't hear you. Mm. Yeah. And is that what then leads to some of these things? The defensiveness, stonewalling, criticism. I missed the last one. What was the last one? Contempt, which is the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like how do you see those starting to form or once you've seen them and they already exist in a relationship, like what leads to those things? Because I imagine that 
relationships don't start off or commitments aren't, you know, kind of solidified amidst those things in the beginning. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> right. <laughs> get into, I mean, sometimes there are relationships where these things are pretty apparent in the beginning, but mm-hmm. I would say the majority of us start relationships that feel really nice and where we're not criticizing each other or being super defensive. And then what happens is that through the process of the evolution of the relationship, we all end up hitting a stressor mm-hmm. at some moment. The beginning of the relationship is rainbows and butterflies, and then someone has to move, someone gets sick, money's a problem, there's a disagreement, there's stress. And in those moments, if couples aren't able to navigate that with respect and support and responsiveness, then what happens is that they go into essentially fight or flight. And when you think about the four horsemen, they really do line up with threat responses. So I feel threatened, I fight, I become critical, right? Mm -hmm. Or I feel threatened, I flight, I get defensive, I run away from my responsibility, I don't engage in a conversation, or I freeze, which is stonewalling, um, and contempt is like fighting supercharged. So all of these line up with threat. We feel threatened. We go into our our mode of dealing with that, which could be criticism, defensiveness, shutting down. And when we do that, it then amps up the threat even more in the other person. So if I criticize you in a moment that's already inherently stressful, then what's going to happen to you unless you're a highly evolved person who doesn't have emotional reactions and physiological responses, you're either going to criticize me back, you're going to shut down, or you're going to get defensive. Mm. And if you come to me and you're really upset about something, but I perceive it as criticism and I shut down or I start to defend myself or I throw it right back at you, you're going to feel threatened because you're going to think, even if I didn't say it the right way, this was really important to me. And this person isn't hearing it. They're defending themselves. They're talking about something else. They're being mean to me. And so then you're going to amp up too. So the four horsemen is really a sense of, I don't feel safe. I don't feel like you're listening to me. I don't feel like you respect me. I don't feel like whatever. And because of that, I'm going to go into my natural response to feeling unsafe and arguments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like that like that fundamental piece is a safety. And when there's not safety in the relationship, then everything else starts to fall apart. And I guess it's like the trust and the commitment is the most important piece because uh, like of the house. So if you don't have that trust or somebody breaks your trust, for example, or maybe, you know, one of one partner's afraid of commitment and it takes them a little bit longer. How do you, like, do you see that couples being able to rebuild those areas? Yeah. So couples rebuild that all the time. And part of that is, is making a commitment, which is a commitment in itself to try to change some of the behaviors, even if the feelings don't match yet. So even if I'm really mad at you and I say, I don't trust you, What I can do is I can commit to no longer criticizing you. 
I can commit to bringing up why I'm mad, what my complaint is and my concern without making you feel like a terrible person. So what I can do is talk to you differently so that we are committed to making this a safer place. We might not fully trust each other everywhere yet, but being able to actually have conversations where no one's getting cut down, shut down, prevented from exploring, that is a building block to creating trust in a relationship again. All right. If we think about earlier on, so if a big trust is broken, I think that's what we were just talking about right now. But if we think about earlier on to what you shared about the bidding and like the kind of making bids for a connection and people, I'm kind of just thinking about like what might, you know, a bigger group of people might be thinking about or feeling, thinking, you know, maybe I'm making bids that aren't being met. So like my partner's like looking at their phone a lot when I am making a bid or they're feeling like the connection isn't there. Like, what would you say for couples like that in terms of where to start? And maybe even not couples, because I think sometimes there can be one person that's feeling it more and then the other person is like, oh, everything's fine. What are you talking about? You're 100% right. I would say (laughs) 90% of the couples I work with when we talk about bids, one partner is like, what are you talking about? We're connected. And the other person is like, what planet do you live on? We are not connected at all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yes, that's very common. And the hard part is that you do have to bring it up. You have to find a way to find a moment that is the right moment. We call it gentle startup. So you're not bringing this up during like a high conflict moment or when the person walks in the door after work or when they're really hungry, like you're waiting for the right moment. And then you'd want to use, again, what we call gentle startup, which is that you say what you've noticed. So you're not criticizing. You're just talking about yourself. So I've noticed recently, I've been really trying to connect with you. And for some reason, I'm feeling lonely. So you talk about your feeling next, feeling lonely. I'm feeling disconnected. I'm really sad. And I need, and then you talk about a positive need, which means you say what you do want, not what you don't want. So instead of saying, I need you to be off your phone, I don't want you on your phone anymore. I need you to stop being on your phone. What you want to say is something like, I really need us to find time to connect. And that might look like we have phone-free moments. It might look like we schedule in conversations but here are some examples of what I need. And so you really do have to first let the person know that in your experience, they're kind of turning away from you. Mm -hmm. I love that. And that makes so much sense. It's like focus on your experience versus what they're not doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And let them be involved in the solution as well. Like, okay, well, maybe this looks like not being on our phone, or maybe this looks like whatever, you're not dictating what the actual connection piece is. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. What about like, do you have a transformative example with one of the clients that you worked with? And can you share a little bit about that? We'll share an example that lines up with many clients' experiences. So I'll talk about turning, the turning away, turning against this is something that happens a lot. And what I'll say actually is the way that people turn against each other the most is with dreams. 
So it's very common for let's, I'll just make this couple up. Let's say that like Tom and Bob come in to talk to me about their relationship. And, you know, Tom is saying, every time I try to talk to you about something I really am excited about, or I really like you shut me down and you tell me it's a dumb idea or you don't really listen. And Bob says, well, I mean, I just don't want you to get ahead of yourself. (laughs) that we really, we wouldn't be able to afford that vacation or we wouldn't be able to afford that trip or whatever it is. So that's like a really common example. And the other person says, well, then I just don't know if we can be together because I have dreams and I have aspirations and you never care about them. And so maybe I need to be with somebody else. And then their partner says, well, fine then. If that's what you want, then go ahead. And so This is examples of one partner was trying to share dreams and the other partner kept shutting them down. And then the other partner tries to bid by saying, I'm really worried it's not going to work. I want you to respond to my feelings. And the other partner says, well, I'm going to turn against your feelings again and tell you, fine, then let's just break up. Mm. So there's a lot of that going on. And what I will say is that First, I'll explore like what happens for you when your partner is dreaming or having feelings? What is happening? And often the response will be, I start to feel anxious because I feel like it's going to actually get us caught in something I don't want to be caught in. So when they walk down the street and they see a boat that they like and they say, isn't that a beautiful boat? I can't just look at how beautiful the boat is. What I'm thinking is how much it's going to cost and that we're never going to afford that. And what if they want to go buy it this afternoon? And so I get anxious. And one thing that then I would say is, well, then how can we work on actually being present in the moment so you can respond to what's actually happening? Because when your partner is saying, what a beautiful boat, you don't actually need to agree with them or go buy a boat. But turning towards means being able to say to your partner, you're right, that is a really beautiful boat. Or if you think it's a hideous boat, you can say, that does look like a boat you would like. (laughs) (laughs) Or you can say, what do you like about the boat? Or you can say, have you ever seen one like that before? Or you can say, when did the Murphys get a new boat? Like there are so many ways that you can respond to that without being eight steps ahead. And so when I work with couples and I help them to recognize that responsiveness is not eight feet ahead. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you have to agree. It doesn't mean you have to buy things or plan things or any of that. It means that you let the person know you're interested in what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And so with this couple that I just told you about, the work would be for the partner that's always shutting it down to just be able to say, I hear your dreams. They make sense to me. They're interesting. How do you think that would work? Or I hear that you're really worried right now. I want to hear about your worry. And that's really all you have to do. And whenever I work on that with couples, what I'll say happens is a pretty transformative experience where they never look at bids the same again. And they start to see them for what they are, not pressure to create anxiety in you, but an attempt to connect with you because the person loves you. Yeah. Yeah. That's and that's such a different way to look at it. Yeah. One of the things I'm curious about 
because I feel like even especially now in the state of the world now, and also because it's something that I've experienced is I think sometimes what can create tension or an environment where something can lead to you know, argument or just disagreement, however that plays out, are big life decisions. So I know that right now, a lot of people are thinking about amidst the state of the world and work from home, like where do we want to live? Or even when things come up, like whose career are we prioritizing? Um, and I think that there, those things can be so charged. I wonder what you would say to a couple who's moving through challenges coming with that, big life decisions, where we're going to live, whose career are we going to go there for, um, and how to really mindfully move through that when I think sometimes both people can feel like they're giving up a lot or would need to give up a lot to give what the other person what they wanted. Yeah, that's such a good question and something that so many people are struggling with right now. Mm -hmm. And the first and most important thing is that understanding always has to happen before solution. And so if you can't tell me very clearly what your partner's position is, what their fears are, if they don't get what they want in the situation and what their ideas are for the situation, then you're not in a place to make a decision yet. And a lot of people skip that and they just, they go straight to decision and then they never make a decision because they get stuck in the disagreement around it. But if you can truly understand often the stress around the decision and you can understand what the person needs, what their worst fears are and all of that, and you're willing to be in a relationship where both people are honored, the hope is that you come up with win-win agreements. And win-win doesn't mean that it's 100% what you both wanted. It means that it meets the core needs of each person. So if I tell you, I really want to move because my biggest fear is that we're going to stay in this house for three more years and the property value is going to drop because everyone's leaving this town during the pandemic. And you sit and you talk to me about that and you ask me, well, like, what is the biggest fear if the property value drops? Well, then what if we're stuck here with a house and we can never sell it and well, like what would be the problem with living here? And if you can define all of those for me, then we can find out a decision that meets both of our needs. And it might look like saying, okay, well, let's sell the house and keep renting here for a little bit longer because your biggest fear is property values. Or if your biggest fear is that, I don't know, too many people live around you and you're afraid of catching the virus, there might be another outcome. But you have to understand each other before you can make decisions, especially big decisions. Mm -hmm. I love looking at it like that. Like on the note of the pandemic and making big decisions, what about like on the side of people spending more time together? And this isn't everyone, of course, but a lot, I mean, it's definitely in my case where I'm now working from home with my husband all the time. I'm seeing him all the time. Have you noticed any trends with couples dealing with that side of things? Because I mean, before both people would go to work and you would be away for the whole day and then you would come home and, you know, talk about your day. But I know everything that happens now because we're together <laughs> constantly. So yeah. I'm curious about that piece. Yeah, I think that there's a lot that happens there. <laughs> I'm in the same scenario. So a couple of things happen. 
overall, obviously it's different for many people, but I think curiosity decreases and curiosity is super important in relationships. So you do tend to start to think, I know everything about my partner. (laughs) There's nothing to talk about anymore. Rituals decrease and rituals are really, really important. I think now that we're deeper in it, couples are starting to recalibrate and they do have some new rituals, but people used to have built-in rituals where in the morning, somebody had to leave and get in the car. So there was a way that that looked so you could rely on that. And in the afternoon, when you saw each other again, there was a way that that looked and you could rely on that. And when that went away, we kind of lost a sense of what does it look like to reunite? What does it look like to say goodbye? What does it look like to take space? What does it look like to have quality time instead of just quantity time? And so for many couples, they're having to think like, what do our rituals look like? And something that's really, really important. And we talk a lot about in in Gottman Method Therapy is having rituals because that creates safety too. I know when we're going to talk. I know when we're going to eat dinner together. I know when we're going to be able to have sex if we want to. But with work boundaries shifting and the amount of time that you're to together, but not really together shifting. All of that has kind of gone out the window. The other thing that happens is that we tend to deal with our stress differently. And perhaps it's harder to take on the stress of the other person because you used to have more separation and your stress used to be about different things, right? So if I came in the door stressed, it was about my job. And if my husband came in the door stressed, it was about his job but they're not things we share. So I could talk about it with him and he could talk about it with me. Now, with our stress now, we're stressed not only maybe about our jobs, but we're also stressed about similar things. What do we do about seeing people? What do we do about holidays? What are your rules around going out into public? How do you want to manage X, Y, and Z? And we might both have different opinions. And so it becomes harder to hold space for the other person's stress when it overlaps with our own. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the most pivotal parts of a healthy relationship is being able to respond to the other person's stress in a way that de-escalates their stress. But a lot of couples are escalating each other's stress. Mm -hmm. That's such a good point. (laughs) Like, yeah, you do lose all of that really just naturally. And I think that's what the, you know, and I think now because it's been going on for so long, like you said, you are like, there are starting to become more rituals and okay, let's go out at this time. And we've been going for swims in the morning and things like that. But yeah, I remember when it first started and it was just like constant, like togetherness and it, what it didn't feel like that was a healthy thing to be doing. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, you know, you have this really amazing supportive space through social media that you're sharing content and supporting people that way. How did that start? And why do you think it resonates so much? And what kinds of things do you feel or do you see resonate the most? Yeah. So it really just started randomly. And I think it was in 2018, I decided to just make an Instagram account that would have kind of mental health tips. And I guess around the same time, a lot of other people were doing it, but I didn't really realize it. And I don't really know why it took off. I think some of it was like luck and the time that I started it. But I will say that I think information around relationships really resonates with people because they're really hard. 
but they are also absolutely pivotal to our lives. And we can't really extricate ourselves from them fully. Like every single person you know is in a relationship. Might not be romantic. It might be platonic. It might be colleague relationships, whatever. But we are all in a web of relationships. And so I think having tips about how to manage them in ways that isn't just kind of off the cuff, which we've all had to do. We're just like managing them based off of what we saw and what we've experienced is important to people because people mostly want to have healthy relationships. 99% of people really want to be kind and caring and loving and also have people be kind and caring and loving towards them. I would say that the things that resonate the most are things around like listening skills and responsiveness, and then also around like articulating their own needs. So boundaries, being clear about your thoughts, your feelings, your expectations, those seem to be the things that really resonate the most. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the frameworks are always so helpful to understand because it helps separate it from like, this is something I'm experiencing or something's happening to me or someone's doing to me and reframes, like you said, throughout this conversation around, it, it gives you us a more empowered place to come from versus what could maybe feel like a more victim place or kind of a, what do I do kind of hopeless place. Yeah. Like knowing that there's stuff to do and also that you're not the only one in the world that's alone and experiencing that, that there's a framework for it for a reason because it's very human to have relationship issues. Mm-hmm. It's just very human. Yeah. Do you feel like, and I think you're, it seems like you're in the same generation as us, but do you think that relationships have changed kind of over the past couple generations? Because I think that one of the things that just came to my mind as we're talking about this is like, we have these models of relationships, maybe from how we grew up or our parents or other generations before that. And it just feels so different from the way that relationships work now. And I just wonder what your uh, thoughts are on that from your point of view. Yeah. So over the last few generations, they have like really shifted right? Relationships used to be more complementary is what they're called, where each person had a role that complemented the other person. So traditionally, one person worked outside of the home, one person worked inside of the home. One person did the emotional labor, the other person might have been doing physical labor. Mm -hmm. And so there were these roles and people kind of knew what they were and they had functions in that role to be a provider or a mother or whatever it is. And during that period, like divorce rates spiked and all sorts of stuff. So I think that many of us are a generation of people who are saying, I don't really want a relationship like my parents had, where it felt like there was unfairness. It seemed like people were unhappy and it often ended in divorce. I want a relationship that is built in fairness, that is built in people being happy, and that is not going to end with something as horrific as what I experienced when I was little, right? That's what a lot of us are feeling. So the divorce rate has actually plummeted because of these shifts. Less people are getting divorced now, although I think some of that's changing with the pandemic I read the other day, which... Oh, wow. It's sad, but I, I get why that would be happening. But people, I think, really want to stay together. I think they're taking longer to decide who they want to be with because of that. 
I think that they are looking for a different type of partnership, which is built on actually being maybe more symmetrical partners. So we're both going to work outside of the home. We're both going to work inside of the home. We're both going to be parents. We're both going to be providers. And that's not to say that everyone is doing that. And it's not to say it's the best way to do a relationship. The best way is whatever your way is. But more people are, are tending to move towards that. And in many ways, it's very good because people feel like they have more choice and more empowerment. And in many ways, it's a struggle because we're still living off of templates that we saw from our parents and unfortunately trying to apply them to this new model that we think in our ideal world would be better, but it's not actually working that way for everyone, right? So what we know is that women still, they work outside of the home more, but they actually carry more of the in-home labor than they did in the 50s. We know that from research. So in theory, it should work, but it's going to, I think, take a little more time for people to be able to let go of what they were modeled in relationships. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, over time, I think it is going to be a really good thing to feel more empowered and to feel like there's more choice. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a good point. And and I haven't thought about it that way, but it's like sub, on a subconscious level, we're still thinking like, oh, you know, perhaps like the woman should do this or the man should do that. But like we have kind of, you know, meshed into one almost like having our own careers. So that definitely, I feel like there's definitely work to be done in that area, but it's headed in that direction. So that's really interesting. Uh, what are some things that you do to keep your mental health in check and stay grounded and during this pandemic and in general outside of the pandemic? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> I am constantly reassessing what that needs to look like. <laughs> I think like anybody else in the beginning, I was like survival mode. I don't know if either of you look back to like March, April, and May and you think, what the heck was I doing? <laughs> yeah, it just, I just thought that it was, it was only going to be a temporary thing. So I don't even think it really sunk in for me. Yeah. Uh, I think I was like in a fog or something. Yeah. <laughs> but as time has gone on, like I talked about with couples, I've come up with more rituals. I'm super, super boundary now, like even more than before. So for instance, while we're recording this, if this was like last year, I would have been like, anytime works for me, whatever. And that would have actually been okay. But now I'm like, I can only do four o'clock because I am done at five o'clock. Like, and yeah. I have to go be with my son. I mean, I'm super boundaried with his bedtime. I'm super boundaried with like what my days off look like. And to me, that has honestly been one of the most important parts of maintaining my, my sanity during all of this. I also really pay attention to what I'm doing in my downtime. So am I actually allowing time to relax or am I filling it with like more work and more projects and more this and more that? And I'm trying to do things like take walks, sit in silence, watch TV, like do any of these things that actually allow for me to just rest. So those are, those are some things I've been trying. Yeah. That's great. Well, we want to be mindful of time. This is This Life Explains It All podcast after all. And so we always close by asking our guests this question. What life experience has been your greatest teacher? 
I think that the life experience that was my greatest teacher was having a really, really, really painful relationship that completely, I mean, it totally broke me and it was devastating. But when I started to think about how I wanted to put myself back together, that's when everything shifted. So that is when I decided I wanted to open a private practice because I needed to lean more into what my dreams were. It's when I decided that I couldn't rely on people to make my dreams happen for me, that if I wanted to do all of these things, I thought this person was going to do for me, like travel and have you know a rich experience in life. Like I, I had to do it myself. And I started like committing to therapy and taking better care of myself and taking huge risks to reach my goals. And so the most heartbreaking, devastating experience actually resulted honestly in where I am now. And I think that it was the catalyst of the incredibly like happy life that I have, which I'm so grateful for. Yeah. So that, that's it for me. That's so beautiful. And it sounds like from hearing a little bit about your story earlier, everything has come together for you so beautifully. And I'm sure there's challenge as well, but it's inspirational. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So if someone wants to work with you or find out more about you and your work, where's the best place for them to go? I own a practice in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania called A Better Life Therapy. I'm not currently taking clients, but I have amazing therapists that I've trained and they're fabulous and they can see people in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and California. I also have a program called Love Lessons 365. It's a membership program. So throughout an entire year, you do self-exploration that helps you to build healthier relationship skills healthier skills for having a good relationship with yourself and really like deep diving into a lot of the tools that we talked about today. Amazing. Amazing. We'll link all of that in the show notes. Yeah. And of course, we'll link your Instagram as well. Thank you so much. This was such an amazing conversation and gave us a lot to think about. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. What a great conversation. I feel like my mind is rolling right now with so many things with my own relationship. Yeah. I feel like Liz made all of this information and guidance just feel so accessible and relatable and give us a lot of tangible things to think about. I think I loved what she shared about the sound relationship house and the most important pieces of it. I loved how she talked about the bids for connection. It was really great. Yeah, the bids con- for a connection, I'm thinking about a lot. And it's it's exactly what she said. Once you hear about it, it's something that you just can't unsee. Like I'm just yeah. thinking about it. Like, oh, am I doing that? Okay, Like, am I being present enough? Or, you know, that's what is my husband being present enough? Like where I'm just thinking about it constantly. So I, I really like that. And it's very simple as well. Yeah. If you boil it down, like just don't ignore the person. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, everyone wants to be seen and to know that they matter. And that's one of Oprah's big things I've probably talked about on the podcast before, but she always says that everyone just wants to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? And that was very related to the method and all of the wisdom that that Liz shared today. We are so grateful for having Liz coming on the podcast If you enjoyed this conversation, share it with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from it. 
And remember to rate and leave us a review. It helps us a lot to keep getting great guests like Liz on the podcast. With that, I'm Catherine based in Sydney, Australia. And I'm Stefania in Santa Monica, California. Until next time. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or share it with a friend and hit subscribe so you never miss a show.